So welcome to DCS Talks. We are joined today with Miss Carrie Durard. And today we are going to do a quick interview about the importance of teen placements in the child welfare system, specifically advocating for those teens. Mm-hmm. So Miss Carrie, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much, Tony. I'm so excited to talk about my favorite subject. Awesome. Good to hear it. I would I'd like to, to do a quick introduction. Uh, so if you don't mind, you know, kind of walk me through what your fostering journey has looked like so far. Sure. So my husband and I started organically um, just surrounding ourselves with young people who either needed a parent, a place to stay, a meal to eat. They just kind of found their way to our home. Um, and over that time, we sat down with Um, my stepchildren and his children and talked about maybe making it official and going the DCS foster route. We did that about five years ago, focusing on teenagers, specifically boys, because we had a teenage boy in our home at the time. And that kind of kicked off the most um, wild, rewarding, uh, life-changing journey we've ever been on. That is really amazing. So you you said, you know, you were kind of helping out before officially being a DCS uh, foster parent. What made you want to want to choose this this kind of journey that you're taking? Walk us through that decision making process. Well, we it was very organic, the decision. It was we were doing this already in the community. But we heard and knew of the need of the DCS foster system. Uh, We were aware that more homes are needed. We were aware that teenagers specifically um, are a community that um, is underserved by our foster homes currently and that we needed more. So during that conversation, we talked to our children. They were completely on board. And as a family, we agreed that this is what we needed to do. That's great. That's great having that conversation with the, the family as a whole, too, making that not only uh, an experience for you and your husband, but it, it's it's making it a family calling almost. Um, it is. Everything that we do, even with um, the foster kids that we have in our home, we try not to make decisions without everyone's input. Now, we may not take everyone's advice, but we definitely want to hear from all ends. And I, and I will say from a, the fostering standpoint, you know, giving giving children voices is, is so, so important, especially when they're being introduced to new environments like that. So so you mentioned um, that you wanted to foster teens because you had a teen in the home at the time. Yeah. Um, I, I will say uh, fostering teens is still something that we are, we are pushing. Yeah. Uh, it is definitely a need within uh, Tennessee and nationwide. Um, what were some things that surprised you about fostering teens, especially starting out? I think there is a big misconception that these teenagers are coming in ready to destroy your home and and interrupt your life and um and and that they're just they're horrible and I never felt that that was the case but in the back of your mind you still kind of have that hesitation right it's the unknown that causes us not to like make it a lot of steps forward and so that fear was in the back of our heads But I remember the call we received for our very first placement like it was yesterday. And it was for a 12-year-old boy. And he was coming straight from the courthouse. And that moment when a 12-year-old gets out of the car and you're standing in the driveway to greet him, and he shows up with his red eyes because you could tell he's been crying in the car, I instantly remembered they're kids. That's it. They may be teenagers, 
but they are kids. And that's what is important to remember. At the end of the day, we're just talking about kids that need a place. And that was the most surprising part for me. Like I kind of knew it, but I, it was one of those things that did hit us in the face when, when we realized, oh yeah, yeah, this is, this is not going to be as horrific as we thought. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. I really like that um, that mindset of these are still children. Whenever we go through the, the fostering training program, we talk about the importance of every day making connections because with reunification, the age that you're also caring for, teenagers and up, you, you really have a, a short amount of time to do a big amount of work. So how did you make those important connections with children, teen, teenagers included? Because uh, I'm thinking really from day one, you kind of have to hit the ground running yeah. with, with that shorter amount of time. So how did you make important connections with children? So the very first thing that I try to do is actually call them um, with the social worker support and call them on the way when they're in the car or before they even get in the car. If I know they're coming to my house and introduce myself, let them hear my voice, let them hear that I'm excited to meet them, even though it may not be under the best circumstances. Um, I'll ask them about their favorite meal and I'll try to have that meal prepared. Um, we have a, a system where we write notes uh, and put them on their bed the very first night. And it's a kind of like a welcome. You're safe. You're, you're wanted here. We're excited you're here. We ask about um, what do they like to do? What kind of movies? Are they Marvel comic fans? Are they, I forget the other one because we're Marvel comics. So I can't even remember the, the other one. Um, but what are their, what are they, they like sports? So that we try the first few days to make it all about them in the way that makes them feel comfortable. So if, even if it's food that we don't normally eat, we're going to eat it. Uh, even if it's a movie that we would have no idea or no interest in, we're going to suck it up and we're going to watch this movie about some anime that I have no idea what it's about because I want them to understand that we're willing to meet them where they are. So they are more likely than to come into the home and kind of acclimate to our rules and our and our everyday life, it makes it a little easier when you meet them in the middle. With most examples of of you know children in the child welfare system, we, we see neglect as a it plays a big mm -hmm. role in the reason that they're in uh, child welfare. So just being able to see the little things that you're doing, putting notes on on the beds, just just showing them that you know, you're there, you're, you're watching for better, or for worse, you are present in their lives. Um, and then on top of that, giving them voice, giving mm -hmm. them choices. And, and oftentimes it it's, it's things like that, that are going to make more of a connection than anything. Just being able to show the kiddo that, you know, Hey, you're human and we're living in this home together. And so how can we make it comfortable for everybody? From the examples that you've already shared, you're, you're really making children feel at home. Think about it. When you go to visit someone's house, um, what would you like to feel? What would you like to experience? And it's, it's no different than having um, this teenager walk into your home. Like the people that you go visit, they want to make sure you have a good time and they want to make sure that you feel loved and cared for. It's the exact same. Yeah, I really like that, especially, you know, starting off day one, you're already making little goals to achieve and, and those mm -hmm. really snowball into the bigger connections there. Yes. Um, I, I will admit, I, I did a little bit uh, of digging and some research. Um, I, I do know that, 
some of the the children that you have fostered uh, you now have adopted yeah. um so was adoption something you always wanted or if not what what changed your mind no it was not always on our mind we did say when we started this process that if a teenager came into our home that m- really meshed well with the family that we would be open to that adoption process and that happened it happened quickly actually i think that's really amazing that you 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 made that that decision of of choosing adoption especially with those teenagers um as we know every year around 23,000 children age out of foster care in America. Did, did the conversation of aging out of the system ever come up um, before adoption was on the table? Yes, it absolutely did. Um, we looked at our own children who went off to college and we thought, oh my goodness, they have a support system to call if they don't know how to do something. But the kids that are aging out essentially do not have that support system. And so I look at my own kids would I, would I trust them to be able to handle themselves at 19, at 18, at 20 on their own? And it, the answer is a big fat no, um, because they're still kids. You know, that frontal lobe still isn't all, you know, completely um, done growing or doing what it needs to do. And so when they age out, my biggest fear in general is that a child ages out and then sees nothing in their future except their past. And when that happens, we as a community, we as a society just fail that child. Because if we do not give them a future to look forward to, let's not be surprised if they just repeat what they've learned. I hear that. I understand that. We really kind of focus on this this big goal in DCS of making sure that the children, whenever they do leave your home, they're leaving it with a resilience that is built up with them so that, yes, they do have a past, just like you said, um, but they have that confidence to know that their past isn't the only thing that their life has. Uh, they, right. they have that future as well. But I will say, you know, that the teenagers that we speak with sometimes that they use phrases like unadoptable or they they already think that it's off the table and and so when adoption is brought up it was something that they never thought about and so it, it kind of is an adjustment period of talking about adoption that way as well were any of your children surprised when the idea of adoption was brought to them well um yes so i'll tell you the story of my son uh, because very quickly uh, we met him via zoom during COVID, believe it or not. So the first few times we met him was uh, Zoom meetings. Um, And then one day he just moved into our house. This was during COVID, so everything was very locked down. And he moved in with the intention that this was going to be his home. So there was an intention already there that we were going to be his family. As time went on and as the uh, opportunity to adopt came open, we were about 45 days from a court date and you could physically and emotionally see him change and go, I can't be adopted. I'm not this. I'm not supposed to be. And so he started having these feelings and this was two years in our home and he even started having these feelings. So I think it's very common whether they're secure, safe and loved in a home or just still in that process of transitioning. There is a feeling deep down inside of them that no one has cared to this point. So why should they now? And that is the hardest part to overcome. So when we tell you we love you, we actually mean it. We're not going to give up. And 
that is a daily reminder to our kids, all of our kids. With the different kinds of neglect, abuse that's going on, some kiddos get the idea that they are only of value if they are serving other people. The I love you's are often followed up with, I love you if you do this for me. Correct. And, and we have to, to instill in them that there is a period at the end of that phrase. I love you, period. Uh, it's it's the end of the story. If, if you can remember maybe one specific time or one specific example of how the child did adjust to that idea of permanency, um, has there been a specific moment of time where you saw them fully accept the idea of permanency? I think I think my son that we adopted was the one that is mo- is most fresh because we got to see the the arc of the entire experience. And while in the beginning it was kind of an understood, there was still absolutely in his heart lots of confusion. And we talk a lot about I love you unconditionally. Um I love you no matter what. And so every time he would test those barriers a little bit, we showed him that, look, that's probably not the smartest decision that you've ever made, but we love you. It's okay. Um, we've had children who have outbursts or over, you know, anything from Xbox to not doing homework. And we say, okay, probably not the best decision, but we love you. It's okay. And so it's like you have to correct and remind them right behind that of the love. It's not a transactional love. It is a constant, unconditional love. And it is very different than what they're used to. With whatever correction that you make, um, it has to be followed up by something that is supporting and love-based. I really like that because it really goes back to the root of the word discipline, right? We are teaching. You know, if you didn't love somebody, you wouldn't really care if they learned. So yes. if you're a teacher to somebody, it, it it should, you know, really resemble the idea of a loving relationship. So I appreciate you connecting those dots for sure. My husband uses a term. He said, he always tells the, the kiddos, we are here to prepare and protect. We're here to prepare you for the life ahead and the life that you want to make and also protect you from life, but also from yourself, from the, from the decisions that you may be making that probably aren't in your best interest. So if there's any question about our intentions, we go back to, do you feel like it's a prepare and protect mode? And oftentimes they start seeing it as that and they understand that it's not um, punitive. Yeah. A a lot of what we're doing uh, in foster care is we are just addressing um, whatever tools, whatever behaviors they are using to take care of a need. And a lot of that job is just pointing out to the kiddos what the right tool is to take care of each need. What we're doing oftentimes is we're taking two steps backwards in order to take one step forward to teach that, yes. that, that important tool to them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so having fully gone through adjusting to that idea of permanency with the foster child individually is important. And then we have to look at the, the home as a whole, that, that yeah. blended home. With that blended home, did the family dynamic or the home environment change once the adoption was finalized? Mm, That's a really great question. I would say it changed mostly for Taylor because no one could take that away from him at that point. And I believe up until the papers were signed, I believe that he was still somewhere 
a small part of his heart was just waiting for that shoe to drop because the process wasn't smooth for him and the process wasn't simple and we would get close and then something would fall through. Um, so I believe for him up until that paper was signed, until we stood in front of the judge and she said, yes, this is your son. I believe until then it wasn't real to us. It was real long before that. The dynamics of our house just more solidified now that everyone has the same name, but it just kind of felt more at home. There was no more what ifs. Continuing that thread, you have to really go back to that, just exactly what you were saying. You know, Taylor, your your son had that idea of now that the judge has officially signed off, you know, I'm leaving the courtroom with a paper trail, basically yes. saying that this is official. And, and it makes me think of all the emotions that you run through everybody in that situation, in a, in a situation where adoption's on the table. Adoption is an immensely joyous occasion, mm-hmm. um, but oftentimes there's still a sense of grief. Were there any challenges as it relates to the adoption process as well? Sure. And I um, I celebrate the counselors and the therapists that were very, they were very well versed in this area. And there was a sense of loss from Taylor's side as he still wanted to be connected to his biological brother that he did pass away in the abusive home. So he still wanted that name change, but was also worried about changing his name and losing that connection to him. We solved that, obviously. Uh, that became his middle name. So that worked out well. Um, there was also a sense at one point that he had to give up whatever extended family that he had. And we absolutely said that that is not the case. So his extended family has been in our homes. We invite them to all the celebrations. But that, I believe, is not the case in some situations. So it is very important that those parents hear me. Those connections are vital. They are important. Whether you like these people or not does not matter because at the end, the child will figure out that they're safe with you and they're safe with their feelings. So I would I would highly encourage other foster families to cultivate those relationships and embrace them. It is a very huge part of the journey for your child. We do have special occasions that we celebrate. And since we're talking about teens and we're we're celebrating adoption um, and advocacy, you know, we know birthdays are special, but is there another special day that you all commemorate, you know, becoming a family? So we celebrate gotcha days and adoption days. So technically he has like three birthdays, but that's okay. Um, we celebrate the gotcha days, the days they, they the kid walks into our home, We set, which is our gotcha day. I know some people call that adoption, but we technically got you on that day. Um, and then we celebrate the adoption day, the day that the papers were signed. But honestly, every day is important to us. Um, with teenagers, every day is a lifetime. And every minute that they are awake, they are exploring, they're thinking about their future, they are thinking about their friends and what to do next. So we try not to miss a moment of anything. And every day has something to celebrate. In fact, one of our um, routines at dinner time is we go around the table. We have family dinners every night. We go around the table and everyone does. They talk about the best part of their day, which is required. Uh, They talk about their worst part of the day. If they had one, that is not required. 
And they talk about what are they looking forward to tomorrow? Because what we want to do is we want to celebrate the good things and make sure that they can recognize the good things that are happening currently, looking forward to tomorrow. And if bad things or something that was difficult that happened today, it was a safe space to talk about. Um, But we don't always have to have those and that's okay too. So I think that is how we celebrate each and every day with these kids. That simple dinner time activity. Um, If I'm looking at it through a trauma lens, I'm, I'm thinking about how that really instills in the children that idea of permanency, that idea mm-hmm. of making connections. I have something to look forward to tomorrow. Yeah. Um, with also the idea in the back of their head that tomorrow I'm going to do it all again at dinner time too. And That's right. So you better be thinking about that during the day. <laughs> it helps these kids take note of, it helps us as a parents take note of the day and reflect on the day because we can get really busy But it takes a moment just to say, hey, look what I accomplished today. Listen to this great thing that happened. Um, When kids have those moments of struggle, not being able to think of something great that happened, we remind them it can be as small as I found my socks when I opened the drawer. It can be as small as I didn't have to run after the bus. Because we have to look at the small wins sometimes and the big wins. Everything's not going to be a parade day. And that helps everyone kind of keep in check that it's going to be okay. You just have to find the good. Well, you were talking about living day to day, but I bet there was one pretty important day in your life. And that is when you all founded Jonathan's Path. So if you don't mind kind of walking me through, uh, what does this organization do in, in the eyes of, you know, supporting teens, uh, specifically in foster care. So I want to tell you how it was named Jonathan. Jonathan was Taylor's older brother that passed away in an abusive home at 12. And Jonathan, according to Taylor, was a vibrant, life-seeking, happy young man um, that unfortunately is not with us today. So we're doing Jonathan's Path in his honor, and it is focused on teenagers, both male and female, that are coming into the DCS community, that are here for the long haul, um, and those that are aging out. And what we are doing is focusing on building and establishing homes. Now, I'm not going to use the term group homes, even though technically that's what they have to be called. But these are small homes. We're talking three to no more than six um, teenagers in a home that are focused on family, meaning it is set up like a family. It is run like a family, not like a temporary stop. Because we know, and you said it earlier, we need over a thousand foster homes just to meet the need. So these homes are going to help meet that need and give them a place that they can stay for the short term. They can stay with us for the long term and they can also stay with us as they age out because we can support that process as well. So basically, we're building little families all across Middle Tennessee for these teenagers and we are going to be their soft place to land. We are going to be the person that they can call when they're 15, when they're 23, when they're 33, because we really want to make and build this community a family for them. 
That's really amazing. And I did see there is a video on your website that walks through the story of Jonathan and and Taylor and how this entire Jonathan's Path uh, organization came to be a, a really touching story. I encourage anybody to go watch it. And as I'm looking through what you all do for teenagers, you know, I'm thinking about what does an 18th birthday really mean mm-hmm. in a lot of people's lives. And it, it can be an exciting time. It can be an, an empowering time yes. saying I'm out here and I am independent. But at the same time, they are thinking I'm out here and I'm independent and it can be yeah. scary too. Yeah. It's like a family. So when you turn 18 in your family, your family doesn't go, go okay, congratulations, becoming 18 years old. Here's your independence. That's not right. how it works in a family. And that's not how it works in Jonathan's path. When you turn 18, as I told my kid the other day, congratulations for turning 18. You can vote. And that's it. Nothing else changes <laughs> because you were still in our custody. You're still in our care. You are not ready for this world yet. But we can help you still. We can help you by preparing and protecting. We can help you understand, do you want to go to college? Do you want to go to trade school? Do you have a dream of becoming a rock star? Don't know how to do that, but <laughs> we'll help you explore it. So the idea of turning 18 is it's just another birthday if you're in a family. It's just yeah. another birthday for us and the kids that we want to help at Jonathan's Path. We want to celebrate it because it is a, you know, a milestone birthday. But it is not a sentence of an end or a beginning. Mm-hmm. It is just a birthday. What kind of support are you offering as far as like wraparound support in, in different actions that you do in Jonathan's Path? So one of our biggest things is the Dream Big Therapy. And the Dream Big Therapy is all about uh, exposure. What do you want to be exposed to? Uh, piano lessons? Do you want to know how to hike? It is one of those things where we want them to dream and let's see what we can do to expose you to what that dream means without understanding that life is bigger than um, going to college or being an auto mechanic. It can be really anything that you think of. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when you're in BCS uh, and you're a teenager, your your time of dreaming is not... Uh, available to you. You are too busy surviving. So we want to make sure that we carve out that time and help them understand what can be. When they age out, we can follow them through. So it's also housing support. It's still the family connection. Where do you go on holidays? You come home. Mm -hmm. Uh, You got a a new job. Who do you call? You call us. We're going to celebrate with you. Had a bad day. Need to talk to someone. Who do I call? Of course, you call us because we're your family. And that's what um, is missing sometimes when kids, quote, age out. It's the who do I call on? What do I do? Of course, there's the life experiences. There's the job. There's the housing. There are the other needs. We're going to meet those two. But the most important part is understanding you have someone who wants to be your family. These opportunities are offered in a really exciting way to a lot of folks who who haven't really been given a voice or been given choice before. That's and I think right. that's really amazing. So um, we have a kiddo right now, 14 years of age. Uh, we started this dream big therapy with him. What have you, what are you thinking about? And he said something I was really shocked at. He said, I want to try the piano. Well, guess what? We got him piano lessons within weeks. 
Um, and it's one of those things he had never thought about it before. I said, where did that come from? He said, I don't know. I just felt like that would be something cool. I want to try. It's, it's a matter of asking. And I don't believe that that question is asked enough. Like you said, if you want to be a rock star, I'm going to fully support that. I am going to need to do some research on how we can go about that. <laughs> but you know what? It's it's the support that's the most important part of that. So that's really great. What does the future look like? This year, we are focused on opening our first, maybe even second home. That is our sole focus right now. We are doing a fundraising. We are partnering with different community partners like therapists or builders or medical professionals. Um, the other big part of Jonathan's path is we go above and beyond what is standard level of care. Uh, as you know, teenagers, all kids in foster care have insurance. We also know that that system is a bit burdened and overwhelmed right now. So in order to get a child into uh, mental health services, it could take three months. So when a child comes into our care, we immediately start looking for a mental health therapist that would be a good fit for him or her. So we are going to meet that need immediately. Same thing with mental, I'm sorry, same thing with medical. We're going to go above and beyond. Do you need braces? Do you need um, specialty medical care? We're going to treat you as if you were my child. And that means I'm going to do everything I can to give you everything that you need at the highest level. Mr. Rard, I really appreciate you coming on with us. I just have to know um, if you could go back to day one, what is something that you wish you could tell day one? Miss Carrie about. Why did you wait so long? <laughs> it's not a bed of roses every day, but I regret not helping. Oh, I'm going to get choked up. I regret not being able to help kids a lot sooner than I did. And I'm thankful that my family wanted to come on this journey as, as a unit. So I would tell her to be brave. Um, I would tell her knucklehead, you should have done this a lot sooner. <laughs> um, I would tell her, stay open to all opportunities, to all difficulties, and do not be afraid of the paperwork. If you could give one message to people listening who are considering fostering or adopting teens, uh, what would you want to say to them? I would say it doesn't take, you don't have to have special talents. You don't have to have a big, huge house. Um, you don't have to um, make a, uh, you know, a million dollar wage. But what you have to have is you have to be willing to be open, to be loving, and to be understanding. And you have to have a truckload of patience. In one of the trainings, I remembered this acronym. It said Q-tip, quit taking it personal. And I have never forgotten that because there are some days when all your buttons are being pushed and sometimes with sledgehammers. I just have to remember it's not aimed at me. This is trauma this poor child has gone through and I need to be open and patient. So I would encourage everyone, if you're considering fostering, do not delay. At least go to the meetings. At least go to the meetings and figure it out. But don't be afraid of what you don't know. Teen Placement Advocacy. Ms. Carrie Gerard, we really appreciate you joining us today to talk about teen placements and to talk about Jonathan's path. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tony. We love the teenagers. 